Thanks for tuning in. I'm Joel Amidon. And I'm Ann Monroe. And this is The Teacher's Journey, Mile Markers on the Road to Better Teaching, a podcast series where we discuss stories of teacher development. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Mississippi School of Education and is an Amidon Planet production. Here we go. Dr. Erica Avent is in the house. Wow, or in the Zoom room. She's in the Zoom room. The Zoom room. <laughs> One of my favorite teachers of all time oh, has joined honored. us. Not a favorite. I feel honored. Oh, I mean, seriously, the uh, the science experience that my uh, my son had in your classroom, and then the and then being able to get the reports about his performance in your class on a either weekly or semi weekly. Ah, uh, oh, unbelievable! Awesome! <laughs> awesome! Well, I'm so intimidated by both of you and having had an impact in both of your children's lives. It's just like, wow, like I'm one of their favorite people. They're two of my favorite people. So that's very interesting to hear that from you. Well, I I call uh, Dr. Amadon, you probably know this. I call uh, Erica my Avent Angel at the school where when (laughs) when she was at the school, any school she was at where George was, she was my Avent Angel. Because I would text her, can you please check on this? Or what would I do? <laughs> All sorts of crazy stuff like, do you see him? Did he know he's supposed to get a ride from? Did he uh, do this? Did he do that? And she'd be ch- telling me all sorts of, don't you worry, I'll go tell him. I'll make sure he gets on the right bus or he does this or does that. Or yeah. she one time she saved me. He At the last minute, he wanted to... Um, try out for basketball. Do you remember that, Erica? Yeah. He didn't know anything about it until the day of. And he he's at school. And I think he, I don't know what he did. He went to the office or something and asked me if he could go get on the bus to go to the middle school for tryouts. I'm like, what? Hold on a minute. And so I, I call Erica. Erica, what is this? Can he get on the bus? <laughs> don't worry. Yes, I'll make sure. And I didn't, I didn't have to worry. She was my Avon angel at the intermediate school. And this is just an example that teachers go above and beyond. That's exactly right. <laughs> for these parents out there. So Erica, we, I mean, again, legend in the Zoom room, but can you just take a, a minute to uh, introduce yourself to any of the listeners out there? Sure. Um, my name is Erica Avent. I am a 17-year veteran educator. Um, I received my bachelor's, master's, specialist, and doctorate from the University of Mississippi. So as you can tell, it holds a special place in my heart. Um, My love for education has taken me everywhere from Holly Springs School District, which was my starter district, to North Panola School District, to working in curriculum, um, to Oxford School District. And now I am back in Holly Springs School District as the Assistant Federal Program Director, Assistant Curriculum Director, and Director of Student Assessment. Um, Yeah, a lot of titles, (laughs) but um, it deals with teachers now and um, administrators now more than it does well students um but my reach is just a little more broader um because my love for education transcends all of that well and can you and i know off script here but you also do a lot with you know leadership with NEA with can you just just touch a little bit on that as well because i think that's that's you know showing these ways to get outside of you know some of these titles from within a district, there's also ways to pour into teaching from outside too. Like, can you? So true. So true. So um, as we do now um, in 
I graduated in 2005 from university. And so in 2004, I, I became a member of Teachers of Tomorrow and I got my membership into Mississippi Associations of Educators. And at that time, I just thought it meant, oh, I'm covered with insurance when I go into the classroom, mm-hmm. not realizing that it would have a direct impact on me. You think about MAE, but I'm not really thinking about the fact that it is a big, is a part of NEA, the National Education Association. And I got into MAE, didn't do nothing the, last, the first couple of years. I was in grad school, just dealing. Well, Mississippi Association of Educators, just in case if people are wondering, but keep going. Yep, sorry. Uh, Mississippi Association of Education, it was just like, oh, I have insurance. I was just a member. I was covered. Right. Um, and around 2014, I took part in a program called um, TLI, which was the Teacher Leader Initiative out of NEA. And that is when doors started opening for me um, on a national mindset. So I did a capstone project that dealt with African-American boys and bringing in African-American mentors to those young men. And that capstone project blasted out. Um, I have presented on it on a national level. I've written articles about it. I have been in policy papers talking about it. Um, It helped me to become a teacher leader. A lot of times in education, you think in order to lead, you have to leave the classroom. And so this is my second year away from the classroom, but I was a teacher leader before that. I was was within my classroom being Mm -hmm. a teacher leader. And so now I work with other teacher leaders who there's so many of us. We don't want to leave the classroom. We're, we're, We're content in being in the classroom, but we want to fix problems. We want to help students and so I help to develop teacher leaders throughout the state of Mississippi now I'm actually working with um, TLI now actually um, as they're revamping the program I'm working with some other states that have TLI and with their teacher leaders that's great I I just I just love that I just love the you know the power of organizations uh, of teaching organizations it's some people they don't not aware and they, they need to tap into it. And like you said, start off with like, Oh, I, I need, I need insurance, got your insurance. And like, but then all of a sudden, like what else does that lead to? What opportunities could be out there? And so I just, thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it. So um, we're going to start uh, Dr. Avid. We're going to start with thanking three teachers. I know we're going to limit you to three, but, but like, I know that there's many, many out there, three teachers who have shaped your development as a person. Wow. Okay. How hard and fast is that three? Because I have a fourth one. So how hard and fast do we stay to three? Uh, you you can, I mean, we, we can make an exception here. Okay. Okay. So if that's the case. I have four. My first teacher will be uh, Miss Phyllis Campbell. She was my second grade teacher. Um, she is the teacher that realized that I was bored, that second grade work was not challenging me. And so she would put, I would do my second grade work and then I would have to be at my blue folder that had third grade work in it. Mm-hmm. And so she was the first person to make me realize 
I can do more. I don't have to just sit and be bored. There's always something that needed to be done. And so um, to this day, she has been a part of my life. I um, sent her a Christmas card every Christmas. She texts me once a week on motivation, motivational words. And so she was my first inspiration. That's awesome. Um, my next teacher was my fourth grade teacher, Miss Odom. Um, she came into my life at a pivotal point. My parents had divorced. And I had changed schools and I was floundering. I went from being an A student to being an F student. And um, being a child of divorce and being a child of poverty, I didn't realize that I needed glasses. And she did. And I didn't want to tell my mom. And this is a teacher who she made sure I got glasses. Um, my mom was a single mom at that time. She made sure I got glasses. But then not only that, she would keep me in for special times and recess times to get me caught back up on the things that I had missed out on half a year because I couldn't see. Mm. And she, when I think of my fourth grade year and everything I went through, she was my fourth grade year. She made me, I could have so easily walked away from school and hated it, but it was because of Miss Patty Odom at Scott Central Rebels, the Rebels, <laughs> who made that year for me. Nice. My third teacher, high school, Michael Miles, hands down is the reason why I'm at the University of Mississippi. He is a diehard Mississippi State fan. Uh, that, uh, he was my, he's my advanced math teacher. And I felt like I was in love when I was in high school, my senior year, and I was going to go to a neighboring college because my boyfriend was going to be going there and everything. Mr. Miles got with my counselor, Miss Shoemaker, made sure all my stuff was turned in for Ole Miss, got with my dad to get me at an orientation, and I literally walked on campus and fell in love with this mm. campus. Um, and so had it not been for me, he would always say, I'm not saying you can't go to this college, but where else have you looked at? What, what, he always talked to us the math about having options. And he was like, I feel like you're limiting yourself. Look at some options. And so at that time, I was a biology major. And so he was like, you need to go where biology majors go. And that's the University of Mississippi. And so he pushed me that whole year. Once I determined that, yes, I am going to Ole Miss, he was like, okay, Let's figure out a plan. And he was like, you're behind the eight ball because you waited a little bit longer, but we're going to get this. And so between scholarships, um, and when I tell you he paid fees uh, fees for me to submit scholarships and uh, application fees and everything, he was my person. Wow. And my last person would have to be um, Dr. Ethel Skurlock. I came to the University of Mississippi, and everyone told me that I had to take this professor and it was like, you have to take her. She's in Afro-American studies. And I had never studied Afro-American literature when I was in high school. And I literally stalked this woman. <laughs> she wouldn't take freshmen. She did not take freshman students. Uh, she said, well, she was like, you know, y'all are just not ready for me as a freshman student. You come here. You used to be in the top of your class. And if I give you any critique, you're very upset about it. You know, wait until you're suffering. And so I stalked her for a whole summer. Until she finally let me into her um, her class. I was one of two freshmen in there. And um, I never forget my first paper. 
that she bled red all over. (laughs) She was like, you know, don't come, y'all just marinate on this paper and come see me on Tuesday. And it was a Monday. And I think like 10 minutes later, I was at her office for office hours. (laughs) You ain't waiting. We need to talk about the paper. She's like, oh my God. But the writer that I am today is because of her. My love of African-American literature is because of her. Um, Had it not been for her, I imagine all the books that I would have never been exposed for because I had never um, been exposed to them prior to her. So those were my four inspirations. Nice. I heard about Miss Odom before. I remember that story about the glasses and the fourth grade. And like, it just makes me want to cry every time you tell that story. But just, I don't know. I I think that's amazing. And just the... um just the the care that Miss Odom had to notice, to fix the situation. And then the whole thing about catching you up, I think is the part that just touches me the most. You know, that that um that want in her to make things right. Yeah. I think, you know, I think that's uh, unbelievable. Yeah, and and just even to point out too, and uh, just thank you for sharing was about being the child of divorce, you know, like I'm also a child of divorce and like knowing that, man, that was, that was a rough year. And like, it, it wasn't really about the academics, but it was, I mean, it was, but it was about like having those, that, you know, warm classrooms with, you know, those warm demanding teachers that were there for you that would, you know, maybe they didn't know everything that was going on, but they were willing to, you know, work with you to help you transition or whatever. Like, you know, they saw that there was more than just, you know, it was more than just the the homework and the tests that was going on. There was other things. And so I don't know, just seeing people as a, as a seeing students as a people and not just as, you know, just do those that are receiving content, you know, so love that. Thank, thank you for sharing that, Erica. Um, so two reasons or events that led you to become a teacher. What, 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 what were those spark moments? I mean, you kind of mentioned a little bit with uh, some of your thanking of the uh, teachers, but I don't know what, what were those two things? Um, I came to the University of Mississippi as a biology major. I was going to be a doctor. Um, as I said, my parents were divorced. Um, I grew up seeing my parents struggle financially. And so as a lot of kids that come from um, homes of poverty, I wanted to get a great job so that I can take care of my mom and my brother. That was my focus. And so I never thought that being a teacher would do that for me. So it was never anything that I said, oh, I want to teach. And so I was going to be a doctor. That's what I was going to be. But the whole time I here at the university, I would volunteer with LeapFrog. Like um, mm. I was always working. Like I always had a teacher heart. I was the kid that was teaching during the summers to my little brother who I took care of. And so um, I got the opportunity to do a rotation where you shadow a doctor or whatever. And so I remember shadowing a doctor. And it's very pivotal in my life because I remember a young lady who had to be maybe 14, 13 or 14, and she was pregnant. And I remember thinking, and I want to say I was maybe a junior, and I was thinking, wow, this kid is having a kid. And here I am in college, and I forgot to take the metal off of the ramen noodles when I cooked them last night, and she's going to be responsible for a whole human being. And I remember thinking, 
does she have somebody she can depend on? Does she have a Miss Odom? Does she have mm-hmm. a Miss Campbell? Yeah. Does she have a Mr. Miles? And it stayed with me um, that year, and it stayed with me the next year. I still was bodgemated. It didn't just push me until then. So finally, I was miserable because I was like, how can I help other kids like her? Um, I'm a relationships teacher. And so I wanted to form those relationships. And so it literally, I was a senior biology major who uh, literally my, the summer for my senior year, I changed my major to, um, to bring in education. It's one of the hardest decisions I've ever done because it meant I had to be a fifth year senior. Um, I had to tell my parents, I had to tell them I've changed my whole life course, but it was literally the best decision I've ever made in my life. My second experience will probably be my mom is dyslexic. So I've grown up my entire life having to um, sign documents and fill out forms. And I never realized it was dyslexia um, because Every time she would read stories, the stories would always change. And growing up as a child, I never caught it. And then when I got older, mm-hmm. I realized um, that reading um, came hard for her. And so she talks, she would talk about how she struggled in school and that she never had anybody to make her feel like she could be successful. And it was because no one ever took the time to realize that she had a reading disability. Yeah. And so when I decided to go into education, again, I said I was going to be somebody's answer, like somebody should have been my mom's answer. I'm going to be that teacher that catches those things that could have made a difference in her life had they just took the time to see this is not a kid who wasn't a bright. This was a kid that literally just was crying out for somebody to notice that she need help. That's awesome. I love it. I mean, and even like we we talk to our teacher candidates about writing those statements as they enter into phase two of our program about what kind of teacher they want to be. And like right there, you're just like, I want to be the teacher that my mom didn't have that I had, you know, like, you know, I got I got the glasses, but, you know, who was there for my mom to give her what she needed in order to be successful? Um, that's, yeah, wonderful. Um so we're talking about your, we're on the teacher's journey. We're, we're placing mile markers on your path to better teaching. You've had, a, a, you're having a excellent career in teaching. And so I know that there's a number of them. So we're picking one, one, Erica, one. I got you. You gave Get me my, my extra person. So I'll give you one <laughs> That's mile right. marker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I so, can compromise. Okay. So you got you place one mile marker on your path to better teaching. And so what artifact would you use to represent your mile marker? I would say my artifact would be exposing kids to opportunities. And and I say that through, um, I'm going to use through trips. Mm -hmm. So my third year teaching, uh, me and a co-teacher decided, you know, hey, let's take some kids and take them out of the state. And it was like, we're not talking about going to Tennessee. We're not talking about going to Atlanta. Let's take them to New York. Let's and and literally, when people say y'all gonna take kids to New York. Why would you do this? But we was like, we're gonna do this. Let's make this a culture trip. And so it was one of two trips that I was able to participate in. Um, and our first trip was to New York, and our second trip was to Washington D.C. Nice. The worlds we open up to these kids by these trips will still impact me to this day. Like. 
the whole and, and it's little things like going through the airport with a line of third, fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. Oh my gosh. You, parents and kids and people are looking like, where are y'all going? I, I just need to know <laughs> well, what flight are y'all on? <laughs> and it wasn't that they wasn't well behaved or anything, but these kids were just an eye because for the majority of them, they've never been on a plane before. Oh, yeah. And we wanted to give them the option. You know, you could do trips like this and you do buses and stuff. We wanted to do our airplane specifically because for both of us, we had never flown. I did not fly till I got to college. And she oh. she did not fly to her senior year in high school. So we wanted to give that opportunity to those third through sixth graders of flying. I remember when we got to the airport, coming from Mississippi, and to see so many the diverse people on every single step that you took it was huge for them uh-huh. and so they're like miss brantley did you see that miss brantley did? and it was like okay <laughs> we're not gonna point <laughs> but yes i did see that um <laughs> just letting them see the places that they've only read about this trip right. took place in 2008 2009 so this was after 9 11 mm. so you know to see all these different places that they have never, ever experienced. And so because it was a culture trip, we researched, we wrote papers about it. They had journal entries. We we talked about, I mean, uh, we on the airplane, they had to write about how does it feel to be in our airplane right now? Was it what you thought it was going to be? I mean, are you afraid? So we've turned it into a true cultural learning experience. Um, I have kids now that come back and talk about those trips. And so that was a mile marker in my life because it told me I wanted to open up my students to opportunities that they never knew existed for them. Well, that's what you're And right before we hit record. You showed us the picture. And I think that would like represent like this trip. I mean, like you think about everyone that's in that picture. They could probably point to that same picture and say, that was that was a mile marker of my development as a person. Like you know, like they they would be talking about that as like a, a a moment, all right, right? That they would be placing that mile marker as well. And then also, Erica, I love that the joy that's coming from your voice, telling about this opportunity that you were able to give these students. You know, that, how much joy that brought you. Uh, obviously, you know, brought them a lot of joy and uh, you know other things, but just that it's just that enjoyment of knowing that you're opening them up to something that um, they wouldn't have experienced otherwise. And that's just exuding from your voice as you talk, tell the story. And I I just think that's awesome. (laughs) Well, I think the joy came in because we knew we wanted to take the kids on the trip, but we didn't have any idea how we was going to get these kids to this trip on this trip. And I remember the first parent meeting and we was telling parents, Hey, we're going to New York. And it's like, Oh, it was like, we want kids to go. And we was like, we don't know how we're going to get there, but we're going to get them there. And we're going to give them the opportunity to fundraise to get there. You know, you're going to have ownership of your trip. And so I remember we had a compact where all the kids wrote, I take ownership. This is my trip. I take ownership of this trip. I'm going in the parents. And it brought this community together. Like when I tell you we was doing fish fries, we did a, we did a haunted house. We did cookie dough. We were selling cookie dough. <laughs> um, literally kids run up, hey, hey, you want to buy this cookie dough? I got some good cookie dough down selling. Right now during the pandemic, everybody's selling popcorn. We was hustling cookie dough back in the day. <laughs> 
And I remember kids used to come up and they'll say, hey, Miss um, Avan, I need to turn in this money. And so it was like, okay, I should have this. Like they had a checkbook where they had their deposits and withdrawals to the trip. And they knew how much they owed and where they was at with it. And so it became a community, not just a district thing, it became a community thing. And it, it helped them to see me that if you have a dream, there's a way to reach it. Oh, yeah. Someone can point you to how to get to it. That would be like, I mean, just, we were just talking about that today in class. Like, you know, if you put the, you put the cap on an experience, like, you know, kids will rise to that experience, but it, what, what happens if you take the cap off? Right. And like, and like you said, like, we're going to go to New York and like, like, whoa. And like to think about what kids did that, you know, maybe a, another, you know, Somebody else might say, well, oh, a kid can't do that. A kid can't raise money. A kid can't like, and like, and the fact that they kept probably like over and over again, like proving people wrong with their actions. And like, because you provided the opportunity for, like, we're going to do something, we're going to do something big and you have ownership of it. And like, that's awesome stuff. I love it. So why, and you, I mean, he did this, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask it again, but why was this mile marker important to your growth as a teacher? And if anything, you need to reiterate but I'm just going to put it out there. It, it enforced me not to put limitations on not only what my students could do, but what I could do. So um, I started out in the school district and it's a critical needs school district and it doesn't have as many resources as um, neighboring school districts. And so my first two years of school, I was in grad school and, you know, you, you study all this theory and you study all this, you know, um, past leaders say this is that and other. But that application is very, very hard when you're doubting yourself and you're doubting your students. And this trip helped me to not doubt. It was like, you know what? We're going to see um, Lion King on Broadway. If that's what y'all want to see, that's what you want. We're going to make it happen. And so it helped me to realize I can do whatever I put my mind to for my students. It helped me to stop limiting not only them, but myself. Because prior to that, I did limit myself. It was a woe is me. I'm a teacher of these kids and I want to do this, but I can't. And I just feel bad because I can't. And it took that. It, it took all of that off my plate. and was like, okay, I need you to buck up and let's figure this out. Nice. And, and then I'll also say too, like, Erica, you continued to do that. I mean, I know that was something you took away from that experience because I also know what you've done since then in terms of taking, you know, making opportunity. You don't not waiting for it or not, like you said, saying, well, we can't because of this or because of that. Like I've seen you make opportunities for your students um, throughout your career and I, particularly thinking about when you were at the intermediate school and you saw a need for, you had um, boys at your school that were getting in trouble and you saw this um, unequal number of uh, black students who had, I believe it was like um, in school suspensions or some sort of disciplinary issue. And instead of waiting on somebody else to tackle the issue, you said, this is something that needs to be tackled. And I know you started, I don't know if you'd call it a, you can talk about it, but like a mentoring project, but you, you, reached out to some folks at the university and had them come over and talk to these kids and almost created like a club. Do you want to talk yeah. a little bit about, I, I just thought yeah. that was cool. Just to, 
I can't remember. There was a name for it, but. Uh, positive interactions. And so at that time, that was also something I did for teacher leadership. But it was something I went to my principal about. And I was like, hey, um, there got to be something better than ISS for these kids. Like, this is not working. And so um, luckily, I had a very supportive administrator who was just like, OK, you brought me a problem. So bring me a solution. And so with a lot of these boys, the common denominator was that they didn't have a male figure in there in in their lives or they had a male figure who's in and out of their lives. And they really just needed somebody to show them that it's cool to follow rules. There are consequences. Let me talk to you about these consequences. And so uh, we started the positive interaction, which was basically a lunch club for some African-American students. And we brought in African-American male mentors who came in their own way and just spoke with these boys, talked to these boys. But these were African-American mentors that had been through what they'd been through. They had, um, uh, they came from uh, homes with just their mom or they had a dad who was uh, incarcerated. They've had to battle um, peer pressure of gang violence. And so it was very, it was very, influential in these students' lives because when you have a Terrence Metcalf that comes over who they all want to play football and you have somebody like Terrence Metcalf that talks about, okay, you want to play football? Well, you are your brand. And if you're constantly getting in trouble, who wants to invest in your brand? Because who I can tell you is that universities don't want to invest in your brand if that's the case. And the NFL don't want to invest in your brand. And when you have people like Ron Upshaw talking about how, you know, coming from a single parent home doesn't determine um, how far you can go in life. Or Dr. Brian Buckhalter talking about, you know what I'm saying? If I can survive Katrina, you can survive eight hours in a class being your best and doing your best. And so bringing in those influential people, these kids started looking forward to their weekly, who's coming this week? Who's coming this week? Who's going to talk to us? Because, not only did they tell them their story, they listened to the boy's story. Right. And they talked about, oh, okay, then, so how could you have handled that? What would have been a better way to go about that? So we're using that to determine what we're going to do in life now. And so it, it served as a catalyst for these boys that, you know what? I can step out of this. I don't have to be stuck in this moment. Yeah, and Joel, when Erica's talking about this, it's making me think that all of these mile markers we've been hearing over the past few weeks since we started the podcast, it, I didn't really think about it until Erica sort of said it out loud, is that she made the opportunity, she is the one that made the opportunity where the mile marker, where the mile marker was stuck. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like, And I'm looking back and thinking about all the people we've talked to over the last few weeks and how so many of them, it was an opportunity they created for themselves that was that uh, created these moments of development for them that became these really important mile markers. Like you have Marianne Parker, go, you know, deciding to sign up for that writing symposium. You have Austin Jones, who decided to get involved with the um, Sunflower, Sunflower County Freedom Project. You know, you have it's these these teachers that are taking initiative to pr either provide themselves an opportunity for professional development or provide an opportunity for students mm -hmm. um, outside of the classroom, you know, just sort of this extra, all those extras. We talk about teachers um, and, you know, and Erica, at the very beginning, she introduced herself and she had all of these <laughs> roles. We were, we laughed, you know, she said, I'm, yeah. I'm this federal director of programs. I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. As teachers, we, we're really good at that. We're really good at taking mm -hmm. on 
um, you know, roles and, and uh, we can also be really good at creating opportunities. And I just kind of just thought about, you know, Erica, you said it out loud, but it's this, you created the opportunity Mm -hmm. and it became this really important mile marker. And you saw, I can do this. And then you've been doing it for years. And think about the number of students that are influenced because you stuck your neck out a little bit and decided, I think I might do this trip. This sounds crazy, but I think we can do this and created this opportunity that becomes this learning experience, obviously for your students, but for you, the learning was, I can do this. I will do this. And it makes a difference. And then this continued, the number of students that have been impacted by the continual opportunities you're creating is incredible. That says something about if, you know, if I've got a Erica A event, which you're, you're a one of one, but I mean, if I've got a T, you know, I've got these teachers that are, you know, looking at how to invest in the lives of their students, I give them a little bit of margin, maybe a little bit of resources and just trust them and and think about the impact they can provide. I mean, so like, you know, think about those educational leaders that might be out there to think like, how can I invest in my students? It might be just a, how do you invest in those teachers to provide them the space? Cause they, you knew what, you knew what your students needed there in that situation and you provide, and you sought a way to provide it. And yeah, I remember, I think that was when we first started interacting. I was learning about that. And I was like, whoa, that's like an amazing program. And, and, you know, doing what you're doing and investing in those students. So, um, so, and going, but I guess going back to the trip. And so we kind of, there you go. You got your two mile markers. You got your, you got your two. There you go. That was an assist from Dr. Monroe. She let you have your two. Fantastic. It's great. It's great. It's great. You just, all the rules just going, no, it's great. Get some extra credit. You love the extra credit. You love extra credit. Erica loves extra credit. (laughs) I mean, she alley-ooped it for me, so I just had to, you know, dunk it and bring it on home. No, no, yeah, yeah. She she was like, yeah, Chris Paul lobbing to Blake Griffin and like slammed it home. (laughs) Fantastic. All right. um, So now uh, we're going to think about the trip. So why was this mile marker important to the field? And so you help, uh, you teach courses here at the University of Mississippi. So you're helping our students and thinking about their <laughs> development and you're, we're tying things to standards. So why is this important to the field? So like, what standards would you connect this to? Uh, learner development. Um, first and foremost, I think that just to take kids out of a classroom and yeah. realize that learning doesn't just occur within uh, the four walls of our classroom learning environment. Yeah, yeah. Um, for uh, just to go back on what you said about teacher leaders, I think it would have to be for me leadership and collaboration. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I say it because I've said it before and I'll say it again. Districts spend so much money bringing in people to solve problems that they don't realize they have teacher leaders who are problem solvers in their, in their schools. If you give a teacher a problem, nine times out of 10, they've thought of five to six ways to solve the problem. So you have a problem with car rider line, get a couple of teachers together that work car rider. They will figure it out because that's what we do. We solve problems. And so with the leadership and collaboration, it literally pushed me to be a problem solver, not mm. for me, but for my student. That's yeah. I mean, see how this artifact has a lot of standards. You put, I mean, <laughs> check off a lot of boxes, but yeah. Like, and I, well, and just to point out something to that, and then this kind of gets into a little bit with a uh, research, but there is some research out there that says most of the time when you're talking about uh, 
a problem that exists within school, something that everyone knows needs to be addressed. The solution usually lies within. Like if you, and, and you look at like how teachers responded to the pandemic, you know, a lot yeah. of times if, you know, when I've seen it done well, when the leadership brought in their teachers together and like, how are we going to attack? There's a lot of good solutions, a lot of creative solutions happen. All right. So you have a pocket-sized philosophy statement? Uh, my philosophy statement has evolved since the pandemic hit. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, prior to the pandemic, my philosophy statement has always been that be a teacher, be a toolbox. So no, no two students need the same tool. You mm-hmm. have to learn your students and learn what tool they need. Do they need a sledgehammer, a sledgehammer to knock down preconceived ideals? Do they need a screwdriver to help you, to help them um, tighten down things that they just don't feel like they can? You just have to figure out what tools you need to provide for your students. And even no two students use the same tool the same way. Right. But as a teacher, it's just for me. I'm, I'm the tool collector. So I'm collecting tools and then I'm just giving them out however my students will need. With the pandemic, um, and even after the pandemic, at this point, my philosophy is show up for the students that are showing up. I mean, we're behind. The pandemic hit. We we know as educators that we'll be recouping this time away from schools for years to come. And so at this point, these kids just need you to show up. They just mm-hmm. need you to give them some sense of normalcy because this is a new normal. We sent right. kids home for spring break. And that was it. Yeah. They didn't get to finish out the year. They didn't get, that was the last time they hugged their teacher. Think about the kids that walked away and were mad at their teacher about something. And that was it. Right. They didn't get to right that wrong. And so we just have to give them a normalcy. Yes, we're still in a pandemic. Yes, we're still wearing masks. Yes, the world is still on this side. But guess what? I am your light within all of this crazy. Right. I'm going to show up and be here for you. So if you show up, I'm showing up. We're going to be here together, showing up together. And just like how you showed up for the, the kids when and planning that trip. I mean, like, you know, <laughs> lots of different tools in the toolbox you pulled out for them as well. Uh, anything uh, anything else you want to say, like how you might see this philosophy statement uh, or how your mile market development might be seen in this philosophy statement? I'm sorry, repeat that for me. Uh, I didn't state it well. So the influence of your mile marker on your current philosophy statement, how can we see the influence of this mile marker on your philosophy statement? If I go, uh, and I'm, I'm not going to go to the one that I've gone to now just with the pandemic, but prior to the pandemic, just providing a toolbox yeah. for my mile marker with the trip for some of my kids I literally had to show up and just sit down with the parent and say, hey, he wants to go on this trip. And if you will sign this permission slip, he's going to go. Whatever needs to be. I, I had to negotiate right. with parents. Well, he did it. I, said, I totally get all of that. But if you will sign on this permission slip, I guarantee you he's going to get all his work done. He's going to work to achieve this and we're going to get him to New York. So I had to become a lawyer. I had to negotiate with people, but we was was figuring this thing out. For some kids, I became a financer. I became a banker. We was trying Mm -hmm. to figure out how we was going to make dollars and cents to get them there. Um, For some kids, it was literally the thing of, if you want to go on this trip, I need you to open your mind up to 
writing about it. I need you to talk to me. I mean, we're going to negotiate. How are you going to publicize this? How how are you going to tell the world about this amazing trip? And so for some kids, it opened them up to photography because they want to document their trip through photos. For some kids, they wanted to journal. Um, I didn't limit them with whatever they wanted to do. And so I provided them whatever to, oh, so you want to do photography? Okay, then let's look into some some famous photographers. Let's look into some techniques. Let's talk about how you're going to do this. Oh, you're going to need a camera. Let's figure out what we're going to do because we're not going to be, you know, at that time, you have the little box camera. And yeah, we're not going to yeah. be doing it. What, what can we do? Oh, let's see if I maybe get an iPad donated that you can we can use to um, do this trip. Nice. So... I pulled out all of those negotiating tools and talking tools and all those different things for them. Nice. Nice. All right. So let's, let's try resources. Were, were any resources come to mind, Dr. Monroe, as you're uh, listening well, to this uh, episode? As I'm listening, I'm thinking about Jerome Bruner. So we, I, cause, and I was just teaching this in class the other day, so it's fresh on my mind, but this idea, we talk about Bruner's Ladder, about these real-world experiences, giving students as close to a real-world experience as you can is the best for learning. So I'm thinking, here's Erica taking these kids on this trip and trying to make something, re- you know, trying to give them an experience, right? This real-world experience and all that that opens up to them. So I'm thinking, so in my mind, as I'm listening, I'm Jerome Bruner's on my mind because we were just talking about him. And of course, you know, there are so many, I mean, so many books across the years with Jerome Bruner, but even starting in the 1960s up into the 1990s and 2000s and things he's been writing about um, education, but just this idea about the experience, the real world experience and that bottom rung of that Bruner's ladder that's so essential to learning. If we can provide that for students, we know that that's best. So just thinking about him and we'll put some of his you know, foundational pieces in the, um, what do we call it, Joel? Show notes. Show notes, yes. <laughs> I'm learning about my podcast speak. <laughs> uh, well, you know, like the process of education or the culture of education, um, in search of mind, some of his seminal pieces, I think would be, uh, you know, just, it's just good to be thinking about those things. And, and you know, obviously he's a, you know, psychologist talking about cognition, but it's about giving kids those experiences. And that's sort of what Erica is speaking to with her mile marker. Yeah. And I, I was thinking too about necessity. There's this thing on the necessity principle from Gershon Harrell. He was talking about uh, proofs and stuff, but it was basically like putting kids in a situation where all of a sudden something is needed. And they're like, Oh man, I wish. And, and all of a sudden they're like saying, Oh, I wish I had the distributive property or oh man, I need to understand order of operations in order to figure out this problem that I'm now invested in solving. And so like you, I mean, we could go back through the recording and think about all the different problems that were uh, created by saying, we're going on a trip and like in how kids were invested in helping to solve those problems. And yeah, that made you have to be like a three ring circus trying to negotiate all these different things, but still it was, they were participating, right? They were like figuring out, uh, selling the cookie dough, doing, keeping track of their finances, figuring out how they're going to document it. Like all these sorts of things that they wanted to learn about. Like maybe that kid doesn't learn about photography if this problem wasn't put in front of them. Like, how are you going to share this experience? And so that necessity principle is something that I think we need to use more often. And like, how do we put, and, and I've even seen, um, Dr. Monroe shared an experience about how they would sell, I always say these wrong, poinsettias, poinsettias, poinsettias. Yes. For a class trip, much smaller trip than going to New York, but it's still a trip. Um, and they use that as a 
it's a way like a problem-based learning, right? So in order to, there's a need there and we're going to use all these different subject areas. We're going to use it in a way that's authentic, that kids are getting something out of it. And so, I don't know, that was, I just rose in my mind, this idea of like, you create this sort of like messy problem and then all these sorts of tools are going to be needed in order to solve it. So love it. But you know, this trip ties back to um, school of ed. So I don't know if y'all remember, but when we did the big portfolios back then, one of the things was to um, plan a learning, uh, learn, plan a trip. And uh, I, you you planned it without any thought of money. If you had to plan a learning opportunity and you had to incorporate learning opportunities in uh, different subjects and this, that, and the other. Because I remember doing this for a class and I planned a trip to Africa and it had all type of different learning activities. And had a, I, had a, I had a board on it and yeah, everything. Yeah. So it, it, I mean, it's something that we used to talk about in class, it, you know, providing that opportunity. If money wasn't an issue, what would you do and how would you make this an educational thing? And so when we started with this trip, this trip literally came about because um, students want to see Lion King on Broadway. And it, it, it rolled from there. And, and, and I think the payout for me was Sitting in, we, uh, we went to see it. Every single kid was in awe. Like when they start coming down the stands, yeah, yeah. the steps, and they have all of the masks and, and everything. And you saw all 50 something of these kids just in awe of the Lion King. And I That's remember awesome. looking, looking over my, um, my assistant, my assistant superintendent at the time, I looked over her and she was like, like that to me was the thing that's awesome there we go that's awesome that's great well thank you erica for uh joining us on this episode and and thank you uh for tuning in to the teacher's journey mile markers on the road to better teaching this episode may be over but the journey to better teaching continues please subscribe to the podcast so you're notified when the next episode hits and if you like what you hear please rate and review the podcast you can also share the podcast with someone you feel may be interested in these stories of teacher development and are you ready to start your journey to better teaching send an email to nick sisk nick f at olmis.edu he's the school of education's admissions counselor to hear about all the options for becoming a teacher or educational leader or perhaps you are well into your journey and looking to further advance as a practitioner or researcher in your field. For more information on all of our graduate programs, contact the University of Mississippi School of Education's Graduate Studies Office by sending an email to graduation at olmis.edu. Or if you want to do a doc program, you can also email me at jcamidon at olmis.edu. Also follow the University of Mississippi School of Education on social media at Ole Miss Ed School on Twitter and Instagram so you can learn more about the opportunities like free graduate application weekends. Information can be found in the show notes for this episode at roadtobetterteaching.com. And finally, thank you to Dr. Erica Avent for sharing a portion of her journey with us. Thank you so much, Erica. Thank you to all of you listeners out there for taking the journey to better teaching. This world is a better place because you have used the gifts you have been given to teach others. 